evening. Second Corinthians chapter four, verses 16 to 18. This has been our anchor verse for this series. How many of you have got something out of this series so far? It's six weeks in, hopefully you have. Um, I know I, I, if there's been a series that has uh, been a series that I've really kind of spoke out of a place of stuff that I'm dealing with firsthand as well and working through, it'd be this series. Because um, how many of you know, none of us have been through this before. And so a lot of what we're experiencing is new to all of us. And so this, this series has really come from a place where I'm going to Jesus and having to deal with things as well. But 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 16 through 18 says this, Therefore we do not give up, even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For a momentary light affliction, our momentary light affliction, for our momentary and light affliction, it's producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. This is the verse we've been, that's really set up this idea of how to, how to survive a pandemic. This light and momentary affliction is producing something. We've been talking about that for the, for the past six weeks. I'm gonna take us now to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 to 36. This is gonna be where I wanna focus our time and attention today. The writer of Hebrews writes this, Remember the earlier days after you had been enlightened or come into spiritual maturity, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Think about that for a second. Spiritual maturity creates greater endurance. Remember the earlier days when after you had been enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to taunts and afflictions. At other times you were companions of those who were treated that way. For you sympathized with the prisoners and accepted with joy the confiscation of your possessions because you know that yourselves have a better and enduring possession. And it's just powerful words. And then this is what the writer of Hebrews says, so do, not, do not throw away your confidence. Come on. Do not throw away your confidence which has great reward for you need endurance so that after you've done God's will, you may receive what was promised. Today as we continue on in our series, How to Survive a Pandemic, I wanna to speak to you from the subject, I didn't ask for this. I didn't ask for this. As we look at navigating moments of uncertainty and faith. Jesus, we love you. We worship you. We thank you today that you are working in our lives. You're working in our hearts, you're working in our souls. And so God, I ask right now that you would do a great work in us, that you would teach us, that you would strengthen us, that you would help us step into everything that you've called us to step into. And while we may be experiencing things that we did not ask for, we know that you are working in it and through it. In Jesus' mighty name, come on, and everybody shouted, amen. amen. I almost died in the ocean once. Um, when I was living in Australia, I uh, spent a lot of time not going to class, but rather surfing and swimming in the ocean. Um, and I loved my time there. It was, and it was an absolutely amazing time. But I'll never forget, I, I found myself in this particular cove one day with another friend of mine. And mind you, there were lifeguards and, and there were uh, people around that were able to uh, rescue us uh, when needed. And, and at that time, I was probably being a little bit more daring than what I should have been. At that time, I was maybe not focusing the way that I should have focused, and so we ventured out 
in a moment of the surf where we probably shouldn't have ventured out. How many of you have swam in the ocean before online and in the house today? How many of you? Okay, most of us have. Um, I'm a fairly good swimmer. Uh, in high school, I, I swam and uh, I, pretty, pretty good. And so we got into the ocean that day. And how many of you know that you can get out there and, and on a calm day, it's pretty easy to navigate and, you know, a wave every now and then. But then there's that, that time in the water and that time in the ocean where the surf is going a little bit harder and the current gets a little bit stronger. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And so that particular day, we found ourselves out in the water getting caught in the current. And it was a pretty strong current at this moment. And so we did what many people do. If you don't know how to swim in the ocean, is we started trying to swim back to shore, right against the current. And me being a stronger swimmer, I had the ability to push a little bit harder and a little bit more. My friend, on the other hand, we had to call for the lifeguard. People were yelling. I was out in the water shouting. The lifeguard had to come out and rescue him and pull him back. And he left me out there to swim since I knew how to do it a little bit more. But I got to admit to you, it was a scary moment. And I found myself as I was out there by myself trying to remember the training that I'd gone through in my swimming. And I'll, I'll never forget learning how to swim in the ocean, the person told me, hey, this is what you need to do. You don't swim straight into the current. You swim with the current. And as it continues to pull you in, you'll find yourself on the beach. Why? Because it's better to, to stand on the beach further from where you were at than it was to drown in the ocean. I appreciated that. And so that day, it kicked into my mind. And I remember just allowing the current as I continued to swim. And I got closer and closer and closer. But mind you, I was, I was way far off from where we had started. I was thinking about that the other day as I started to wrestle with this idea of uncertainty. That for many of us, when it comes to the uncertainty of life and faith and pandemics and the moments where we step back and we go, I didn't ask for this. Many of us face uncertainty the same way that many of us face the current in the ocean. We try to swim straight against it. We try to fight it. We, we take on the weight of un uncertainty. We find ourselves trying to push against it, trying to control everything, trying to make things go our way. Come on, somebody. Where are the control freaks at? In the midst of situations and circumstances that in all truth, K-Love moment will never go our way. I know, positive and encouraging. Come on, how many of you would admit today with me online and in the house, how many of you would say, I try to control things in the midst of uncertainty? We work hard to swim against the current. How many of us right now in this moment say, I didn't ask for this. I have my vacation plans. I had my wedding plans. I had my shopping list and I had my promotion that I wanted. I didn't think I was going to lose my job. I didn't ask for this. I had my health intact and now I'm running around everywhere worrying about things. I didn't ask this. Come on, am I talking to anybody today? Here's what I've come to learn, that control over uncertainty is our attempt at avoiding grief and loss, pain and suffering, lack and despair, doubt and disaster. And we as people, don't we work so hard to extinguish the uncertainty that is certain? Come on, think about that for a minute. Have you ever noticed that we work really hard at trying to avoid uncertainty? And here's what I've learned about uncertainty is that it's certain. That's the crazy part. So we try to build and protect and uh, wrap myself up in, in bubble paper. Why? So that nothing ever happens to me. I don't want to deal with uncertainty. And here's the truth that we need to grapple with today. Fear is the driving force behind most of our controlling behaviors. 
So 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 tells us this, that for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. See, can we go back to that list for a second that they just had up? Grief and loss, pain and suffering, lack and despair, doubt and disaster. Here's what I've come to learn. These are the places we try to avoid, but these are the places that God does his greatest work. Have you ever noticed that before? We work so hard to control the situation so that we can avoid these things. But the problem is, is that in trying to avoid these things, we're actually avoiding the very place that God works. He wants to work in our grief and loss and our pain and our suffering, our lack and despair, our doubt and disaster. That is where God shows up. And so the writer of Hebrews is helping us see that there is another way to actually do life, even when it's not going our way, and that's accepting it. Can we just take a a therapeutic moment and just go, today I accept uncertainty. Come on, online, just accept it. Say hashtag accepted. (laughs) I'm going to accept uncertainty. Why? Because uncertainty is certain. Realizing that uncertainty, affliction, and hardship is actually just a part of life. And the more we fight against it, the more difficult it actually becomes. See, much of the difficulty involved with the uncertainty And affliction that we experience has nothing to do with what is happening to us, but rather what is happening in us. Let me say that one more time. Much of the difficulty involved with uncertainty and affliction has nothing to do with what is happening to us, but rather what is happening in us. So because of this, we tend towards trying to control more than we can actually control We try to exercise control in every area of our lives. We then create support systems with our thoughts, behaviors, attitudes, perspectives, and check this out, even our faith statements. Have you ever noticed we come up with new theologies to support my fear of uncertainty? (laughs) Just wrestle through that one for a second. Because I'm scared, I try to support my fear with new ways of thinking through scripture when there is a litany of scripture telling me, don't worry about uncertainty. Like Hebrews told us that you are going to experience these realities. Christine Carter, PhD and a senior fellow at the Greater Good Science Center and author of the book, The New Adolescence, Raising Happy and Successful Teens in an Age of Anxiety and Distraction, huge title. (laughs) She says this in relationship to control. Being controlling is like a sugar rush. It might bring me a quick hit of tense certainty, but never lasting peace. This is because all control is false. We can be sure of only one thing. We will die, and we're usually not even in control of that. Now, I know some of you are like, wow, we just went dark and depressing today. (laughs) I've often struggled with the fact that believers especially should not fear the end of things. Death itself. That's why Corinthians, Paul would write, so death, where is your your sting? Because in the midst of this redemptive plan that we are involved in, in and through Jesus, we have nothing to fear at the end of it all. Can we do some work today? Can we do some Bible work today? That at the end of the day, we cannot control anything. So, Christine Carter, PhD, tells us about this. Jesus said it first. Jesus said it first. 
So don't look at Christine and be like, wow, you're a depressing lady. Say that to Jesus. <laughs> Matthew 6, 25 through 34, watch what he says. Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life. What you will eat and what you will drink about your body, what you will wear, isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about your clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you? You have little faith. So don't worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. And this is what he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. <laughs> Thanks, Jesus. We can't control things. See, J Jesus is taking a very pointed path to helping us understand why we struggle with uncertainty. And here's why. Because we're self-focused. Can we just be honest today in church, online and in the house? We are self-focused. We care about all these things in a disproportionately self-focused way. We're self-preservationists. Once again, Christine Carter helps us with this idea as she writes. The desire for control is a form of perfection. The desire for control is a form of perfectionism, and we can alleviate it by learning to embrace uncertainty. She would go on to say this. A well-studied phenomenon, perfectionism is clearly associated with serious depression, chronic anxiety, and a myriad of health problems. Think about that. Why? Because we try to make everything perfect and perfectly in control. Am I talking to anybody today? We got to lay a lot of context to get to the practical realities of this. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to win an argument right now. Because for some of us, we'd be like, well, I'm not a perfectionist. Liar. <laughs> Perfectionism is one of the greatest issues of overly self-focused people. Sure, we've made it culturally appropriate by valuing it as a great strength of a person who produces, right? But Jesus would contend that the sole purpose of our existence is not production, but rather to glorify him. And interesting, especially Christians, we try to do everything perfect. Perfect smiles, be perfectly put together, walk into church like our family's perfect. And they're not, right? I know the smile. The smile says everything's perfect, but really, I almost killed everybody. <laughs> I know what's going on, because we walk in that way too. This is why John would tell us in John 3.30, he must increase and I must decrease. See, removal of self helps us deal with uncertainty. I want to win this argument in, in our heads and our hearts right now because I need us to open up to what the practical points of this reality is today. I need us to understand that even right now, some of us are thinking, I'm not a perfectionist. I'm not a control freak and, or, or all of the above. While you may not resonate with any of these descriptors, I think we can all agree that we tend to be more self-focused than we would like to admit. And because of our lean into a greater degree of self and preservation, 
uncertainty becomes our greatest enemy. How many of you would agree with me this morning online? And how, how many of you would agree with me that uncertainty actually becomes an enemy? And so that is why we try to preserve everything. That is why we take things and try to make it in order. If I can have control, if I can have everything perfect around me, then maybe, just maybe, I will survive my uncertainty. Maybe, just maybe, I will survive this moment, this situation, this circumstance, this health issue, this financial reality, this political landscape. You fill in the blanks. Maybe, just maybe, if I control my way through it, I will survive. But the truth that the Bible offers us is that you have no control. I have no control. My survival is not on my control. It's on my Savior. So we've got to reorient the way that we do things. So here's the question. How? How do I deal with uncertainty? Have I won the argument yet? Can we all, can we all agree that we struggle with uncertainty? And if that's the case, then in the vein of how to survive a pandemic, I want to offer us four antidotes to uncertainty. <laughs> four antidotes to uncertainty. Jesus prescribes them <laughs> for us right here in Matthew Chapter six, where we just read. Here's the first thing that he says to us. We have to make a proper assessment of our life. If we're gonna survive uncertainty, if we're gonna deal with uncertainty, we have to make a proper assessment of our lives. Watch what he says, Matthew chapter six, verse 25. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? What's he offering to us? He's saying, listen, you gotta assess some things. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? One of the greatest reasons that we struggle with uncertainty is because many times we have not made a proper assessment of our lives. More specifically, the overall purpose and reason for our lives. Strewn across modern history, we will find this question over and over and over again. What is the meaning of life? It has been the existential question that has haunted generation after generation after generation. And it would seem in all of our advancements and all of our technology and all of our progress, we have yet to be able to answer this question. Could the reason be because we are looking for the answer in all the wrong places? What's the meaning of life? Come on, how many of you have asked that question maybe in this moment once or twice? What is the meaning of all this? I didn't ask for this. What's the meaning behind it? I didn't ask for this affliction. I didn't ask for this pain. I didn't ask for this doubt. I didn't ask for this fear. I didn't ask for this moment. What's the meaning? I'd like to submit to us today that a true, soluble, and lasting answer to this question is ultimately found in and through Jesus. Outside of that, every attempt to answer this question will be met with a diluted and ultimately disqualifying assessment of our lives. In other words, when I try to fight, figure out what is the meaning of my life, Jason's life, outside of a relationship with Jesus, I'm going to come up with broken things at best. I'm going to come up with what pop psychology says. I'm going to come up with what little sister Susie says on Instagram. I'm going to come up with a couple posts from Facebook. I'm going to read a few articles and I might pop open the internet to try to tell me who I am, intricately woven and created by God. No, I got to go to the one who authored my life. I got to go to the one who says who I am and it's in that place the meaning of life is found. Everything is author Dwayne Garrett would write 
is transitory and therefore of no lasting value. People are caught in the trap of the absurd and pursue empty pleasures. They build their lives on lies. I love that because at the end of the day, we are all searching for this reality. Uncertainty becomes debilitating when we do not have a proper assessment of our lives. In other words, purpose will always overcome uncertainty. Purpose will always overcome uncertainty. That's why we've been able to sit in the middle of this. And while it's been a hard season for us and our family and our team and our staff and many of you in here, it's been a hard season. But I can mount up at the end of the day understanding, wait a second, I am created with purpose. There is a plan over my life, so therefore I can keep on going. Uncertainty may come my way, but the purpose is greater. I can get onto an airplane right now. And not worry about it. Why? Because uncertainty is lower than purpose. Am I talking to anybody today? Come on online, let me know that you're with me today. Uncertainty does not need to impact me when I'm aware of purpose. When we understand and believe this, when we make a true and proper assessment of our lives, We start to push back against uncertainty. So the first thing that we need to understand is that we have to make a proper assessment of our lives. Here's the the second thing that Jesus offers us. We We have to develop an understanding of our worth. Come on. We have to develop an understanding of our worth. Matthew chapter 6, 26 through 27. Watch this. Consider the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? How many of you think it's important that we stop and pause and answer the questions that Jesus asks us? He says, listen, aren't you worth more than they? It's interesting that he would ask this question because inherently in the complaint was what he was trying to deal with. There's obviously something in our human reality that tells us that we are not worth what we think we are worth. There's something that we are fighting against at the end of the day. Jesus asks a question that is meant to be answered, and the struggle that many of us have with this is that we can't answer the question. And it's not because we don't know the answer. It's because we don't believe the answer. See, uncertainty preys on that which has no established worth. When we see ourselves as little in worth, we are broken by uncertainty because we inherently believe that there is nothing good for us. Come on, how many of you would agree with me? When I have a low value of worth, I'm not talking about self-esteem. I'm not talking about how we feel when we look in the mirror. I'm talking about the intrinsic worth that that statement of price was made upon purchase and that purchase was done upon the cross. So it says that my worth is a whole lot greater than what I realize. Come on, how many of you would agree with me? Worth is established by what someone's willing to pay. Right? There's a bunch of us running around today saying we're willing to pay five and a half dollars for coffee at Starbucks. Some of us in this room would argue it's not worth it. Get a Keurig. But listen, at the end of the day, why does Starbucks keep on raising the price? Because we're willing to pay for it. See, worth and value is established by what someone's willing to pay. Did you know, just for clarity's sake, that our Savior Jesus decided that he was willing to pay his life for you and I? And so therefore, my established worth is not based upon what I do. It's not based upon what I have. 
It's not based upon what I'm going to get. It's based upon the one who was willing to pay for it. I can meet uncertainty when I know my worth. My kids meet uncertainty all the time. Why? Because they know what they mean to mom and dad. So let's dial into it. They walk out. Have you ever noticed kids, they do the dumbest of things? <laughs> With no regard for life or limb or people. Right? They just walk out. Why? Because they understand that they mean something to mom and dad. And so mom and dad, inherently in the back of their mind, they think, oh, I'm guarded, I'm protected. I'm worth something. And they are to us, so we're constantly paying attention to them. Don't step on that. Ah, back up. Stay away from them. Stranger danger. Like all these things. Why? Because they're worth. So they don't look at uncertainty the way that we look at uncertainty. It's amazing what understanding our worth does to our outlook in light of uncertainty. Psalm 139, 13 through 18 really helps dial into this for us. It says, for it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Come on. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. God, how precious your thoughts are to me, how vast their sum is. If I counted them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake up, I am with you. I would recommend that you grab this psalm right here. Put it on your mirror, you put it in your wallet, you put it on repeat, you do what you need to do because if you are ever doubting your worth, if you are ever thinking that you are not worth anything and uncertainty is tooling with that, I just want to encourage you to know that God loves you unequivocally and that you are of so much worth. Is this helping anybody today? Here's the third thing that he offers to us. We have to reconcile the real versus the ideal. We have to reconcile the real versus the ideal. Matthew chapter 6, verse 27. I love this question. This is Jesus. He's savage. Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? Come on. You don't need to raise your hand, but where are the worriers at? Not warriors, worriers. I'm going to have the, the team, they're going to pop some signs up here. We have to reconcile the real versus the ideal. Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? I want you to take this question. I want you to see these two signs. We got, we got the ideal world. Come on, somebody. How many of you know we all have our ideals? We have our expectations. Ladies. Single ladies. sun just glistens off of his bearded face. <laughs> Three weeks in, <laughs> the real. <laughs> I hope the sun burns him. <laughs> so we got, the, <laughs> we got the ideal versus the real. 
And we've got to reconcile this. Can any of you add a moment to his lifespan by wearing? So we have what we hope things look like, the ideal picture in our, in our mind. My wife is famous from this. She doesn't do this anymore, but especially earlier on in our marriage, she used to have a very idealistic idea of what vacation meant for us. And then we would quickly get there and draft back towards real. Right? When we went on a Disney cruise once with our kids, ideal was it was going to be the happiest place on earth. It turned into Jason is in a hospital for a week in Mexico. <laughs> right? She had this ideal that we just had our third child and it was all beautiful and awesome. And five days later, Jason is in the hospital with rhabdo. Notice a reoccurring theme in our life. There's ideal and then there's the real. I want you to see this space. This is, there's, a, there's a moving mechanism on this thing. Most of us hug this. We just oh. At the beginning of COVID, you're like, no! This is what I had planned. I had it in plastic containers, color-coded and labeled. And every day since the beginning of this thing, come on, somebody, we've drafted back to real. Now we're just happy if there's clean clothes in the house. I want you to see this. Worry is the space between what is real and what is ideal. And that is where so much of our uncertainty comes from is because we do not know how to deal with the space in between. How many of you heard this statement before? It just got real. That's just a statement telling us we left ideal long ago. We have to reconcile the real versus the ideal. So this is where we can take comfort from Paul the Apostle in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Watch what he says. Many of us have heard this scripture before. I'm going to mess it up a little bit for you, okay? He says, we know that all things, you've seen this on a coffee mug before, in a little card, right? A sticker on a bookmark that you stick in your Bible. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. In any moment that we have a bad thing happening in our life, someone recites this verse. Come on, how many of you have heard it before? You're like, how's your day? It's horrible. And then they say, well, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to a purpose. And how many of you are like me? You're like, slap you. You be quiet right now. You be quiet. I left ideal a long time ago. Here's what we need to realize about this scripture. It does not say that all things work out. <laughs> Can we dig into the Bible a little bit? It does not say that all things work out. It says that all things work together. This is where you just got to look at the words for a moment. You got to dial into it a little bit. It does not say, and we throw this verse at people as like a little sticker on top of problems saying it's all going to work out and it's all going to be good. And this is why people get frustrated at God because they're like, it didn't work out. He never said it would work out. He just said all things work together. That's what he said. Now watch what he says. All things work together for good. Nope. There's very... Purposeful words put in here. All things work together for the good. Not good things. Am I helping anybody today? 
So we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God. So I can't stand up here and, 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 and pitch to you that it's going to be fields of gold and roses and beautiful and awesome all the time. But I can tell you that we know that all things work together, the bad things, the good things, the ideal things, the real things, and everything in between, they work together for the good. You will be better on the other side. It just may not feel good on the way there. See, we don't like to clap at that part, though. Because <laughs> we're like, no, I just want it to work for good things. I want my job back. I want my health back. I want my marriage back. This scripture helps me with this truth. Uncertainty will always reveal of what we are certain of. Uncertainty will always reveal of what we are certain of. And I take refuge in that scripture because I am certain of this. While all things might not work out to the good, they will work out for the good. Doesn't mean that all things work out. They just work together for the good of me. That means that God has a better perspective than what you and I have in this thing. How many parents you would know this at a very fundamental truth? Because I don't promise my kids that they're gonna get good things all the time. Things will work out but there might be broccoli in the middle of it. <laughs> so 1 Peter chapter four, a lot, of, a lot of Bible today. I just want you to understand, I'm not trying to just give you my opinion today. I'm trying to show you, this is, this is, the, this is the discourse of scripture. 1 Peter chapter four, 12 through six. Dear friends, watch what he says. Don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you. Thanks, Peter. <laughs> watch what he says. As if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. So, what he's saying is like, don't, like, you can't complain because you got pulled over for breaking the law. Right? Like if I'm speeding and a police officer pulls me over, I can't say to him, I'm being persecuted. No, it's not a spiritual thing. It's a foot on the pedal thing. That's what he's saying right there. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. I'm watching more people complain about the moment we are in instead of praising the God who's over it. Can we be, can we be those people? Am I helping anybody out today? I'm just trying to let us know we didn't ask for this, but we can rock this. <laughs> Come on, we didn't ask for this, but we can do this well. We didn't ask for this, but my light and momentary affliction can be done in such a way that brings glory and honor to his name, not my name. And it may not work out the way I want it to work out, and it may not feel the way that I want it to feel, but oh, I've got to know that God is working in the midst of it. He is making me stronger. He is making me better. He's working stuff out in me. He is maturing me, and he's making it so I can stand no matter what comes my way, so I can keep on forging into the future that God has for me. Why? Why? Because he has a plan and a purpose. 
Fourth one, last one. We have to seek God first. That's where we reconcile all of this. Matthew chapter 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So in other words, the four antidotes to uncertainty. The final one, which really should be the first one, is seek God first. Do not seek social media first. Do not seek the news first. Do not seek your neighbor's opinion first. Don't even seek your pastor's opinion first. Because my word does not stack up to this word. I gotta seek God first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added unto you. We're gonna get it ready to go into a new series after the worship night. We're getting, uh, getting ready to go into 21 days of prayer and fasting as a church. And we're gonna teach what prayer is. We're gonna really dig into to what prayer is, seeking God first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. I don't know about you, but I take great refuge in the idea of seeking the one who holds everything together. And I know we can wrestle through a lot of different I've got about two other pages of notes in here that I didn't get to today. Maybe we'll kick it out another time. If you do a study in Ecclesiastes, you can, you can struggle with this stuff sometimes because you're like, but isn't, isn't God good? Yeah, 100% he's good. But that doesn't mean that bad things aren't gonna happen. Moments like this aren't gonna happen. We've just gotta learn how to walk through them in such a way that honors him in it. How many of you, just one more time online in the house today, how many of you would agree with me that we didn't ask for this? Come on, we didn't ask for this. But how many of you like me will decide today that we're gonna rock this? <laughs> we can do this, you can do this. Jason, but you don't understand what I'm going through. I may not. I don't get your personal situations. I don't understand all the stories that are going on, but I can tell you this, is that God is in the midst of the story. He's working in it. The question is, will we seek him first? Will we look past the ideal? Will we just accept things just got real? And say the space in between all this, God, I just give it to you. I'm seeking you first in Jesus' name.